So, how are you doing after almost one day of five? Is it sustainable? Is it, you know, how do we normally evaluate things in our life? Is it good? Is it bad? Do I like it? Do I not like it? The normal way that our mind tries to evaluate something that we've probably given a lot to get here. You know, I know some people have very limited vacation time in this country or limited resources or, you know, having to arrange a million things to get here. And we put such a lot of effort into doing that and bringing our family. I only had to bring one. (coughs) And even then, you know, with just two adults, leaving the house is still hard work, you know. Come on, hurry up, I'm going to miss the flight. And all that it takes for us to get here. And then we see, we, what do we arrive with? We have our mind. And that's what we're interested in here because that seems to be the place where we get stuck from time to time. It seems to be, what does it seem to be? What does your mind seem to be? You know, when it's going well, when the day here is going well and everything's looking good and your children are behaving in exemplary fashion and not only do they wash their hands, they wait to be served and they really plight in the dinner queue and great, mind says, way, it's going well, looking good. Things are looking good. And then they show up in the meditation hall in the family gathering and, you know, make some taboo exclamation like, you know, what's the best thing that happened to you today? I trod on the ants. Ah, you know, <laughs> things are looking bad. Not supposed to tread on the ants here, you know. Now my and so we identify with our loved ones and then there's our own mind. To look at the ups and downs or the perils and the pitfalls, the journeys that we go on. And sometimes it's oh, this mind is the arbiter, it seems at least, at first look of my what? My sense of being okay, my sense of being at home, my sense of freedom. And luckily not, luckily not, that this mind, with all its wonderful capacities, absolutely, it's a big journey we go on from being really, really little. How old's our littlest one here? Six months, just under a year, somewhere around there. Big journey we go on to get from there to being able to use this mind and cognize and perceive and all these wonderful things. And yet when we start to live through that conceptual framework of the ups and the downs, I'm doing well, I'm, doing, I'm not doing well, IMS is doing well, it's not doing well, then we feel, we feel bereft. We feel the kind of dryness of that. Either the being on the roller coaster where we're kind of constantly buoyed up when it's up and go down when it's down. Or somehow that sense of being bereft from living in our mind, only seeing the world through our frameworks and concepts. And we long for home. We can't make our home in that content because why? 
It keeps changing. Not only do our kids keep changing, my mind keeps changing. Not in itself. The content of our mind is not where we're asked to look for home, and yet we do, don't we? Don't you feel much better when it's looking good up here? Yeah, don't you feel much worse when it's kind of looking bleak up here? Ah, oh, and then what to do? We come and sit, and here we are again. I really wish I had gone to summer camp or vacation. At least, you know, I can kind of get away from my mind a little bit. But we can't really, can we? And the more our intention is clear that we want to wake up, the more we can't get away. We keep seeing ourselves. Have you seen yourself today? It's almost like the deal is we come to IMS and then a big torch, a big light gets shone on us and everything and our family and our kids and how we're relating and internally, externally. We're visible. It's a renunciation. It's an act of courage to be here under this, with this intention to look deeply. So have you seen yourselves today? And do we like what we see? And hopefully we can start getting out of that measuring of liking what we see and not liking what we see and judging and evaluating our success and failure as a person, as a meditator, as a parent, as a good Buddhist. That, that engaging in the forms of practice is not about becoming a better Buddhist, it's about waking up. What the Buddha pointed to was not about being a better Buddhist, it's about waking up. And waking up is about understanding the nature of what we are, what is really home, what is really our refuge, what is the freedom when we can realize that this mind, that these changes, the internal ones, the external ones, the children, ourselves, our partners, our families, our our groups, our meditation is not the arbiter of our arcanus. And is not the place where we find our freedom as such. So we're faced and we've signed up for, whether you knew it or not, where family retreat looks very innocuous, doesn't it, on the program. Family retreat, great. Lots of lovely people, you know. We practice wise speech and mindfulness of body and should be good. And yet what we get when we come here, yes, we have a shared intention. Yes, we make a fair enough um, assumption that there is a like-mindedness of intention, of our intention to wake up, our goodness of intention. And yet, when we get here, the whole world shows up. Now, sometimes we show up in ways that we don't want to. And here, you know, when we're on retreat, it's a little harder to find the references that we sometimes have at home where we can kind of, you know, not be so visible. It's like I even notice, you know, you know we have a, some, sometimes wall-to-wall meetings on the first few days of these retreats. So there's lots of content. There's lots of things to attend to, which I'm sure you have too, things to attend to, information to process, things to support, things to uh, have boundaries around, etc., etc. Sometimes I notice, wow, this is more than just teaching a retreat for adults in silence, which is what I normally do. Wow, this is the whole story, 
the whole age range we've got from our littlest to our oldest, and then the oldest that was mentioned in the hall tonight, of Flora, who was here for many, many years and died aged 99. It's all here. Oh, are we up for that when we signed up? Are we up for the full catastrophe, the full celebration? The thousand joys and the thousand sorrows. Did you sign up for that on this retreat? Because that's how it is. And part of what we witnessed in the hall today when we opened up to the community speaking, we have our heavenly messengers the invitation to wake up. We have events that are delightful, that are beautiful, that are uplifting, that are in a way we could say at the beginning, the beginnings of things, when things look exciting. You know, I'm, I'm going to go to kindergarten, right? It's like a birth. It's like something new, great. And... We can celebrate. We can, of course, we're affected. Of course, we're in it. And we have the full life experience. We have the news of our, one of our community experiencing a painful breakup. Ah. Letting it in. Yes, being affected. Feeling a response. This too, this too. We have sickness, Susan's sickness, that the other Susan, we have many Susans actually, uh, Susan reported for us. It's painful, the sickness, the illness, the, the breaking up of the body. And death. which is a theme for a number of people and children here, people and children, adults and children. And the way we're affected by that too. Can you maybe feel the change in qualitative experience as we let all of that in, the whole range, the new beginnings, the moving through our life, the dying away, the decay and the dropping away. How are we with having that whole spectrum? And that practice isn't just to orient us to realizing, well, it's all going to end in anyhow. It's not a depressing orientation to understand impermanence. It's an invitation to really understand those cycles, to really, really be here for that as it happens in a lifetime, as it happens during the day, and I'll speak to that in a moment, as it happens moment to moment in our mind. Somebody apparently once or once had the opportunity to speak to Plato as he was laying on his deathbed. And... Uh, they said to him, how would you describe your life's works? What piece of wisdom can you give us as a pithy end here? 
apparently he was not conscious, and he, that he came into consciousness again and said two words. And he said, apparently, he said, practice dying. Practice dying. And then the story goes that he faded out of consciousness again. So what does that mean, and what might that look like for us here? What might that look like for us here? If we ascribe to the view that it might be useful on a big level, you know, as on, on the level of, okay, it's gonna, that's going to happen, the physical death, at some point as our one sure thing, what would that mean to practice for that? To practice for that. So I want to speak a little bit about how we notice these cycles of birth and death in our mind, in our experience, right here and now, that it has this big picture of our life, my life, when I was born, when I die. And there's a very lovely letter, perhaps Buzz will, maybe he's put up or maybe he's happy to show you, which he gave me was the letter that he read on Flora's birthday when she would have been 100. And it just outlines her life from that birth. And there's even records from back then, which, when would it have been? 1907, I guess. Her family actually kept records of who attended and who showed up and who gave what presents and all of that celebration, what flowers were given at her birth. The celebration. And it goes, tells her education and, you know, the story all the way through to her wrinkling skin and her last days. It's very touching. Very touching. So we can see it in that big picture. And practicing dying, we can see right here and now that there's many opportunities that you will have during these days. Because practicing dying doesn't mean just that our physical death. It means learning what it means to let go, to release, to give up, give up the struggle, actually. Give up the struggle of our perennial battle with, and tell me if this is the same battle for you or not, the gap between the way things are right now and the way I think they should be. That's it. <laughs> That's it. That gap, and the bigger that gap, the more we're at sea. Coming into contact with the way things are, not how they should be, doesn't mean we end up passive. It means we can respond, but we can be awake. We can have our belly and our heart and our head. Somebody once asked the Zen master, what was the Buddha doing during her lifetime? It's very like about Zen. What's the Buddha doing during her lifetime? And the Zen master replied, an appropriate response. Again, it's this pithy, bit like practice dying. Plato had a lot of work. The Buddha had a lot of work, a lot of teaching. An appropriate response that his awakening, his waking up, was enabling then an ability to be able to respond, to be awake, to be alive, to be human. 
to be human. That we can respond, and each of us does. It's not that we have to wait forever for that to happen. We can respond. In the moments that we're not just seeing through our filters, our assumptions, our triggers, our buttons. And boy, we can get a lot of buttons pressed on this retreat. Right, because we have the sensitivity of the stillness and the silence and the intention. And we have the whole world and all the speech and all the complexity of human interrelating. Oh God, I just wish it was silent. Or sometimes it's like a little death to have to come into the silence. Do you ever feel that? Sometimes we're having a good time and I have to drag myself away and it's like I have to... Ugh, I have to let go, I have to breathe out to shift that mode, to drop, to come into stillness and silence. So I want to use an illustration, and I hope you're going to help me join in with this. It's a way that she, once when I was on a retreat some time ago, it came to me this um, this seeing a little bit more clearly how we can see this cycle of birth and death um, on the moment-to-moment level. And I want to offer this to you. And this song showed up in my mind. And first, you know, it's like it's that funny old song that my mum used to sing showing up in my mind. And it's a Cole Porter song, which some of you might know, and it's called Every Time We Say Goodbye. Who knows it? Only six of you. Come on. So you're not going to have to sing it on your own. And what I heard as the song kind of showed up in my mind was, ah, this is very, very well describing our experience of these cycles. Where things show up, lovely events show up, we're excited, they rise, they peak, and then inevitably they have to change, to move, and there's that sense of dying away. But when it's lovely... It's like, as it says in the song, it's like major. It's in the major key. It's up. It's happy. And then how strange that change from major to minor, right? <sighs> that cycle. So if you want to sing it with me, what you can hear in the music is the way this very well illustrated. It's very, very well illustrated. So we'll do it nice and slowly. And perhaps you can relate to any experience of your life. Might have happened today. Maybe something that was absolutely delightful that's already changed. You know, maybe you woke up and maybe you had a lovely experience uh, doing that paired exercise with someone. And it's great. I love it at Guy, ha- uh, Guy House. IMS. I love it at IMS. Going to come back next year. Going to tell my friends. And then what happens next? I don't know, you have a horrible experience with somebody and then the kind of the bubble bursts. It's like we're falling off something lovely. And the point about Dharma teachings isn't to to not engage. You know, sometimes we think, oh, God, yeah, but it's relentless. It's coming and going and it's up and it's down. And it's to be in that but to not make that our home. It's to know it so well, so intimately, that out of compassion for ourselves, we start, the releasing starts to happen. 
but we need to be intimate with the way things are. And this is the way things are. So it goes like this. And you can join in. It goes, every time we say goodbye, I die a little. Every time we say goodbye, I wonder why a little. Why the gods above me who must be in the know think so little of me they allow you to go when you're near there's such an air of spring about it right can you see it up there I can hear a lark somewhere begin to sing about it. There's no love song finer, but how strange the change from major to minor. Every time we say goodbye. There's a lot there, actually, if you hear it, there's a lot there. Every time we say goodbye, I die a little. And that's where we can practice dying. Every time we say goodbye, we had to say goodbye to our homes. And maybe it's a relief, you know. Sometimes it's a relief to say goodbye. But there's a little death that has to happen. It's letting go of the familiar. Sometimes we make a choice and sometimes we don't have a choice. You let go of our homes, our familiar references. You're letting go of your roles moment to moment as you drop your children off, your, your, your parent, you're there, you're, and then it's gone. You're a yogi, you know. But I'm still a parent. Yes, you are still a parent. There's a relative, absolutely a relative truth to that, of course. But until such a moment as your child comes back in here or the child children care group come to get you, you're a yogi. You're a meditator. How do we make that transition? Every time we say goodbye, I wonder why. I wonder why a little. Why the gods above me who must be in the know think so little of me there's the, p- the peace that when something difficult happens, when there's that sense of letting go, that conditions are kind of falling away from under our feet. It's like we either think it's because we've done something wrong. You know, it's not going right. It's not going well. It shouldn't be happening. And then when you're near, so when something lovely is there, when you're near, there's such an air of spring about it. It happens a lot here. And we can celebrate that. You know, these little children that come up to me from time to time, you know, because I take this role, so I'm someone at the front, you know, and so some of the little girls come up and, hi, Catherine. It's like little spring blossoms kind of walking into my life. 
in those moments. Like, yes, beautiful, beautiful. Let it in. Feel that. Be touched by that. Such an air of spring about it, with that joy, with that, oh, wow. I can hear a lark somewhere. It's almost then, oh, then I can take it personally. Oh, I must be really good. I must be really good. It's me, right? We take it as I identify with that. And then what happens when I do and I think I'm great? <gasps> then some kid comes up and goes, oh, I didn't like the bit about... And then, poof, off the pedestal I fall. And am I good? Am I bad? If I'm measuring myself on the ebbs and flows of what comes towards me and what's generated in my mind, then I'm going to be constantly on this roller coaster. Constantly. And we want to get off, right? Not to move away from experience. And I think that's where we have sometimes a misunderstanding in teaching. It's not to move away. That release, that non-attachment is not about becoming lofty and moving away. It's about in that moment of feeling the spring, the spring blossom that comes to us, or this painful, painful impact that somebody's words might have on us, which we do. We've, our words are so impactful here. Okay. <coughs> being with the responses, seeing what arises, being right here with all of that. Letting it arise, making room. So our mindfulness of body, all these practices that seem so mundane, that seem so um, unglamorous. Sometimes kind of unglamorous to come in the hall and sit silently. But that support us to be able to let those waves come and go. And yes, there may be a response or there may be no response. But if there's room we can start to, to make an appropriate response because that's what we love. We love to know what it's like to be at home in our life, to be able to respond. So have there been any roller coasters for you today? Reminded me when I, you know, see if I can begin that sentence again. The issue or the, 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 the question is not about the coming and going or the birth and the death in, a very, in the ultimate sense. The issue, as the teachings point to again and again, is the grasping. And so we want to see that. We want to practice dying with that. But first we have to see it. So today, tomorrow, the next day, if you see your mind clinging, grasping, gnawing, chewing, it's okay. It's okay. Great. You can start to see it. You can start to see it. And we can practice 
dying. And the example that came to my mind, I may have told you before, is basically we grasp onto anything we're identified with and most of us are identified with our families and ourselves and our mind and our body. And I remember experience, so this is my family. We also have two cats, but this is my family so far. And many, many years ago, when uh, Yanai was just beginning Dharma teaching, um, he's from New Zealand, we went to New Zealand and he was um, visiting and he was going to give a talk. So we went to this beautiful meditation center uh, in the Coromandel Peninsula, in the North Island of New Zealand. And um, he was just sitting near the stage. Somebody else was teaching, but they were going to invite him to come teach. And he was sitting just beside, so everyone could sort of see him as he was there. Now, I didn't know I was identified with my family. It's kind of obvious most of us are. And what happened was that I suffered. Because what happened was I was a yogi, in the, just like you are there, and there he was, behaving wrongly. And how does a Dharma teacher behave wrongly? He was falling asleep. And he was sitting at the front there and kind of nodding, you know, this kind of nodding when you're tired and you're meditating. And I was sitting there and I could see. And I started struggling. He shouldn't be asleep. Right? This might seem like a very mundane example. It's like, phew, if my kid was asleep in here, it would be much easier, you know. <laughs> but he was asleep and that's taboo if you're teaching about waking up, Right? So there he was, asleep, nodding, nodding. And in my mind, all you get to see is your mind. And there it was. He shouldn't be asleep. Someone wake him up. Can I got a stick long enough to prod him? And how am I going to change the way things are? Because this is very bad ambassadorship. You know, there we've come from England. And, and all of this is almost invisible in my mind. It's completely unconscious. But there's just a, shouldn't be like this. Shouldn't be like this. Now, I had to just keep sitting there, which is what happens. And I did notice at some point that Yanai wasn't suffering. It was me. It was me. Oh, okay, okay, practice. I remember being with what's here. No, 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 but this really shouldn't be happening. It's setting a bad example. And Oh, I'm the one who's anxious. I'm the one who's angry. I'm the one who's tensing up to put some pressure on the way things are. And in that moment, I had the option to practice dying, so it seemed. And the dying in that moment is, you get to, you reach that apex of what's arising in you, and I have two choices. I stay like that for the rest of the sitting, willing with my psychic powers, you and I, to wake up, or... And what dies in that is my what? What died in that moment? Was my sense, actually. What died was my identification with, isn't he great? Now, it doesn't mean that I don't think he's great. <laughs> it's, the, it's, the, it's the clinging around it. It's the part where then I'm on the roller coaster, right? Isn't it great? Look who I've brought from England, as if it had anything to do with me. Isn't he great? Oh, now he's not doing great. Oh. 
you know, that whole thing. Do you have any sense of, does it ring any bells for you around others, those that we're identified with, our own minds? You know, I shouldn't be like this. I should be something different. And what I'd like to invite really for this retreat is that we can put away as much as possible our judge, our spiritual judge, our parenting judge, our judge judge, family judge, that which hovers on our shoulder, assessing, making the comparative judgment of, yep, doing it right here, showing up well, he's awake. <laughs> oh, good, he's awake, doing well. And then tomorrow morning he's nodding. Probably don't have to wait till then. And kind of suffering that happens in that way. And why we're asked to come close to these cycles is because why we're asked to come close to our life, to, to start to develop the resources, our practice, the mindfulness, the body, taking our step on this earth, breathing in and out, feeling our belly, landing in our seat, stopping as we're speaking perhaps from time to time, just to come back to what's here, what's here, what's actually happening right now, not what I think should be happening or what might be happening, but what is happening here right now. And it's our practice that supports that. So if I ask you, what's happening right now? Right now. Where's your mind right now? Any pushing? Pushing might look like come on, Catherine, get to the point, or, you know, whatever it might be, some kind of pushing, some kind of pulling back, (coughs) some kind of comparative analysis that we're seeing, the hearing, the talk through. Or maybe we're off on remembering some Plato book we read years ago, you know. And what's the feeling, maybe, of what hears, what's the mind doing, what's the feeling doing? Oh, this is interesting. Or, hmm, they always talk about impermanence at IMS, you know. You know, sort of grumpy or... Or maybe we're anxious. We're really worried right now about how our kids, our child is doing. What's actually here? And not that we shouldn't be, not that any of those things shouldn't be happening, but that we start to see, ah, it's like this. It's like this. Come into contact with this. It's like this. The teaching of Ajahn Samedo, the head abbot at the monastery in England. It's like It's almost unbearably simple sometimes. Not to know how it is, because that takes sometimes a refinement and some resources and some practice to actually be able to make contact with what's here. Ah, maybe I'm feeling this right now. Rather than seeing it through our judgment, I shouldn't be feeling this. I've come to this lovely retreat and they're all people with good intention, but I actually find that I don't like any of them. I shouldn't be feeling that. 
Oh, but actually that's what's here right now. Wow, okay. Without having to believe the story of it, but without having to push it away. It's like this. Without believing and making home in that, and neither ignoring it and dismissing it. It's like this. Like this. Ah. Big relief, actually, to come to that moment. To come to this moment. It's a big relief. Whatever it is, even if it's not the truth that we want to be here right now. Ah. Ah. Mind's a mess, full of anxiety. It's like this. Rather than the resisting that, the pushing it away, the judging that, the moving away, it's like this. It's like this. Ah, this much I can be with. Mind goes, but what if it stays like this? No, but this much is possible. This is possible. And this is how we can begin to practice dying, letting go, release. Not just for that moment of our physical death, but release in this moment. To be able to be breathe out, to not be in a conflict with the way things are doesn't mean we can't respond. But to not be in the place of what we, our default option basically is to only be able to react, right? We want more of something, we want less of something. Pushing and pulling, pushing and pulling, we can't, we don't have access to our Buddha nature of our, our response. Pushing and pulling. We want to see that, see that here, see that movement, the pushing and pulling. Oh, look, wow, what I'm doing. And for goodness sake, don't take on a now another spiritual judgment that we're supposed to practice dying and know how to do that, and I'm just clinging. We want to feel that it's like this. It's like this. I'm pushing and pulling. Wow. Let me get to know that. I want him to be like that, and I want him to not be like that. I want my mind to be like this and not like that. Wow. Get to know that, feel that in your body. Let the light of awareness start to shine on that. It takes courage, it takes our practice, and it starts to bring us closer to what's true. And even when that's really painful and we've been resisting it, there's something about coming into contact with what's true. 
and you can check this out for yourself if it's true for you or not. But what's something about coming into contact with truth that we start to rejoice just a little bit, just a little bit. And the little bit of joy is that coming back. It's just that bubble. Sometimes it's very faint because sometimes what we're contacting is not easy. But it's true. And at our, de- at our depths, our hearts love that. Because that's where we can start to feel a little more reliability rather than the cycling nature of our mind or our feelings or our loved ones but where we can come into contact is with what's true. The clinging, the releasing, and what's beyond. So I'd like us to end with a chant together, just as a, the last couple of minutes, and you'll pick it up and just join in. Um which is a verse from the Diamond Sutta. We'll just sing it through a few times and I'll ring the bell. It's a reflection on this theme. So the words are, I'll sing it actually, and then you can just join in the next few times and feel free to embellish the chant. You should see this fleeting world A drop of dew A bubble on a stream Lightning in a summer cloud A phantom and a dream You should see this fleeting world A drop of dew, a bubble on a stream, lightning in a summer cloud, a phantom and a dream. You should see this fleeting world, a drop of dew. A bubble on a stream Lightning in a summer cloud A phantom and a dream You should see this fleeting world A drop of dew A bubble on a stream Lightning in a summer cloud A phantom and a dream You should see this fleeting world A drop of dew A bubble on a stream 
Lightning in a summer cloud, a phantom and a dream. You should see this fleeting world, a drop of dew, a bubble on a stream. Lightning in a summer cloud, a phantom and a Thank you for your attention and your practice of being here with all of it. And if there's only one thing you might remember from this talk, it might be to leave any judgment, comparative evaluation of ourself at the end of the drive so that we're free to really see what's here each one of us, in whatever roles we put on and take off. So, now is time to put on or allow up or arise as your parent and come to pick up your children. Um, we're a couple of minutes over, so if you can go quite promptly, that would be appreciated. Hope you sleep well. And there is a sitting tonight at... 8.30 till 9. And if you can come in for part of that or some of it, please feel very welcome. Good night. <laughs>